What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Today's episode is with former NFL player Sean Merriman. After an eight-year NFL career, the two-time All-Pro and former first-round pick has dived deep into the business world. Sean is the co-founder of the MMA league, Lights Out Extreme Fighting, and he also owns his own insurance agency. In today's conversation, we discuss how he got the nickname Lights Out, the financial challenges of transitioning to the NFL, why he started an MMA league, how he plans to compete with the $10 billion UFC, the future of sports betting, and more. This was an awesome episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Today's episode is brought to you by Whoop. Whoop is a 24-7 personalized fitness wearable that's here to help you improve your recovery, sleep, fitness, and health. Here's how it works. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, respiratory rate, and heart rate variability. Your score lets you know how to approach your day, whether you should push yourself during your workout or activity, or if you should skip the gym and take a rest day. You wear your Whoop on your wrist, bicep, or now within one of their smart garment clothings called Whoop Body. The band connects with an app on your phone and automatically measures your heart rate, calories, and activity levels throughout the day. The band also automatically detects and classifies your workouts, so there's never an issue in forgetting to press go or on a run. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in your app. There's also a ton of coaching features within it, like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery level for that day. Those goals change over the course of the day, depending on how active you've been. That coaching is where Whoop really shines. Whether you're interested in how CBD or alcohol impacts your sleep and recovery, or you are wondering how long of a run you should go on, Whoop is there to provide you with personalized data to make sure you're aware of the impact these decisions have on your body. I've been wearing Whoop for over a year now, and it's drastically improved the way I approach fitness and think about my recovery. But here's the best part. Whoop is now offering 15% off of their all-new Whoop 4.0 right now with the code Joe at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com, and enter Joe at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, train smarter, and now feel healthier with Whoop. Optimize your performance with the all-new Whoop 4.0 today. Next up is Public Rec. Are you looking to upgrade your baggy sweats? It's time to check out Public Rec. Their best-selling, all-day, everyday pant is the perfect combination of indoor comfort and outdoor style. Myself, along with thousands of others, are wearing these, and trust me, they live up to the hype. Finally, a more stylish alternative to sweatpants that are way more comfortable than jeans. Now, your favorite lounge pants can also be your go-tos for work, happy hour, and the gym. After a year at home, they're definitely the pants you need, now that you need pants. Public Rec rarely discounts, but right now, they have an exclusive offer just for my listeners. Go to publicrec.com and use promo code HUDDLE, H-U-D-D-L-E, to receive 10% off. This episode is also sponsored by CoinCloud. Did you know you don't need a bank account to buy crypto? CoinCloud makes it easy to buy or sell Bitcoin and 30-plus other digital assets with their digital currency machines. It's the most convenient way to make a transaction. With thousands of machines across the country, there's no need to connect your bank account or wait in lines. Plus, they offer live, 24-7, U.S.-based customer support. Simply put, CoinCloud wants to make it easy for you to get involved in crypto. Get $50 off in free Bitcoin when you buy $200 or more at any CoinCloud machine and use the promo code JOE. You heard that right. That's free Bitcoin. For details, go to coin.cloud slash Joe. That's coin.cloud slash Joe. And don't forget to use promo code Joe for free Bitcoin. All right, Sean, I'm happy to be talking to you today. Thank you for doing this. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So I got a lot to talk to you about. I feel like the easiest place to start, though, is I got to hear the nickname story. How did you get the nickname Lights Out? <laughs> My sophomore year, the Frederick Douglass High School in Upper Marlboro, Maryland, I knocked out four guys, four kids in one game. 
And after the game, I had about 20 or 25 students come running up to me and saying, man, you knocked those guys' lights out. And so as it was supposed to happen, I said, you know what? Yeah, call me lights out. And that name stuck with me. I went to school Monday morning and everybody was calling me lights. I went home the after school and I begged my mom to let me get a lights out tattoo on my right forearm. I said, mom, everybody's calling me lights out. So I got to get this light switch with, with the hand switching out. For two weeks, I had to bug the hell out of her. And she finally let me get it. But it's been a name that's been with me since I was 16 years old. And so when do you start doing the dance? Because I think most people, that's probably the most memorable part, right? You were an incredible NFL player, had a great career. But the dance, I think, sticks with everyone. Yeah, my freshman year at the University of Maryland, my first big game under the lights on ESPN against Georgia Tech. I came and I was dropping in pass coverage. A wide receiver was coming across my face and I leveled him. I got up and just pretended that I was flicking the light switch just a little bit and the crowd went crazy. And and I started to jump and got excited after that. And they got even louder. I got to the sideline and my head coach, Rob Friedgen, said, if you ever do that again, you'll never play here. And I went from the being in the highs and highs and excited to my lows and there are other coaches, my teammates kind of hit me on the head and slapped me on the back. Man, what was that? What was that dance? What did you do? And I said, yeah, that was a lights out dance. And again, it stuck with me all the way through college and then obviously through the pros. Did you try it again in college or you waited to do it till you got to the pros? I didn't jump up and down because I, <laughs> I got a warning from, from the head coach that if I did that, that was going to be it for me. But for me, it was it was about branding and coming up with something that was in a way bigger than me, right? Something that was more iconic that people will recognize what the name lights out. Yeah. So I assume when you're in the NFL, you start to understand the gravity of this a little more, right? Kids are imitating on the playground. People come up to you, I'm sure in the streets and they're doing it, all this kind of stuff. But when you first started doing the dance, did you understand what you were doing? Did you know that it was going to turn into this? I did know what I was doing. I had, I didn't think it was going to just go. I could be anywhere in the country and somebody's driving by me in the street and they're doing this, right? Uh, or walking on the other side of the sidewalk and notice me and they started doing the lights out dance. I didn't, I didn't see that coming, but I, I definitely had a mindset to build a brand behind it because I always thought the lights out was much bigger than me. Yeah. And it was. All right. So let's talk about Maryland for a second. You grew up in PG County. You chose to go to Maryland. Why Maryland? I grew up in PG County and that area was special to me because a few times we grew up in a very, very rough upbringing. We were homeless a couple of times, stayed, lived in shelters. Me, my mom, my sister slept in, in the back of the cars. So that's home for me. And I just couldn't see myself leaving the area. So I actually verbally committed my junior year. It's just a special place for me. And I just didn't want to leave home. Gotcha. And how many years were you at Maryland? I was there three years. Three years. So then you go pro and yeah. you get drafted in the first round. You get a big contract over $10 million, I believe. Talk yeah. me through what that transition is like. You just mentioned yourself that you came from a family that struggled growing up. You were homeless at some point, you were sleeping in the car, and then you, you get a contract that's worth over $10 million. Your life changes like that. So just talk me through kind of that process. Everybody try to prepare you for what's to come when something like that happens. And there's no real way to prepare anybody, especially when you come from where I came from. You got to start to learn fast, go through the experiences and experience yourself because there's no one that can prepare you for having that amount of success overnight and have that much access to do whatever you want. I mean, I was 20 years old when I got drafted. One of the youngest drafted NFL players ever. So for me, I had to really learn on the run and growing up with a, a single mom and her just being there and trying to figure it out and learn as fast as I can. You got to start hitting the ground running. And I did. Is there anything that you look back and you were like, damn, that was a dumb decision at the time? 
The first thing you want to say is when you buy cars or houses and stuff or jewelry, I mean, any of those things, I always tell guys this, get it out the way early. Whatever you want, if you want a, a car or two, you want a house or two, whatever that want is, get it out the way early because back half of your career is where you start to prepare for life after football, right? The middle to the end of your career. But the first couple of years, man, it's a once in a lifetime thing. You play on the biggest stage in the country and in, in NFL where everybody's watching, whether it's Monday night football, Sunday night football, you're living your dreams and all these guys you watched growing up as a kid and you're now playing against some of them. You're seeing, you're lining up against some of them right across from you. And it is, it's a dream that you can't really imagine happening to you. Yeah. And I assume that it's changed slightly now over the last decade or decade and a half, but did you feel that the NFL gave you the appropriate resources when you first came into the league from a financial perspective? Yes and no. Most of my experiences were in learning, were talking to older guys who've been through it, who had bad financial advisors, bad advice, or done stupid things with their money. That was my, my fastest learning curve from talking to people. Okay, what, what did you do? What mistakes did you make along the way? And have that approach actually helped me a lot in business now because before I get into anything or before I go and venture out to any business, I reach out to people who are very experienced and been around in that field for a long time. And it's helped me out a lot. I always bring back the stories like if you ask any regular person or anyone on the streets, they always talk about athletes not being smart with their money. I think that narrative had been pushed for decades, right? We, we saw the CNBC statistics. There was a 30 for 30 called going broke, all of these things. But you're still around athletes today, both in the NFL and other professional athletes. Do you think that narrative has changed? Are people getting better with their money? Has financial literacy approved in sports? Big time. And I'll tell you, one of the biggest reasons is because you're expected to be more than just an athlete. Now, I think 15, 20 plus years ago, they expect you to play football, go home, go to sleep and wake up and play football again. Now you have to be active in your community. You have to be a part of supporting different outreaches and you have to be an all around businessman and philanthropist and everything. These last, I would say 15 years, 10, 15 years really changed, especially because the money has gotten so big. Guys, when you come in the league, if you talk to them 20 years ago and hear those contracts, you're like, man, you guys really beat each other up for a small amount of money playing a very physical sport. Look at the contracts now, guys getting 20 and 30 plus million dollars a year. You've got to be smart. That also allows you to have access to some of the best financial institutions and firms and companies there are in the world. And so with that happening, you get a chance to be in the same room, in the same deals, in the same partnerships with some of the best people that's done it in business. So those doors have opened up a whole lot. When you were playing, were you focused on the business aspect of while you're playing or did that come more afterwards? The whole time. You know, I bought the name and trademarks rights to lights out in 2006 from another company called PJ Salvage right in Irvine, California, who's a very well-known and successful company. And I just had it in my mind. Lights out is what I was going to do for my life. The only thing I wanted to do outside of football is build lights out and paid off. And so what were you doing at first? You were selling clothing or something else? Yeah, I went into a sports memorabilia place in San Diego called Sports Feed, but that was my first clothing deal that I had. It was more of like a, a sports shop that was mom and pop related. I think about nine stores and I learned apparel business fast, how to source fabrics and clothing, how to warehouse, 3PL. I was learning all this. And I was doing it some days when I got done with practice. So I tell any, any one of the guys, when you got your downtime, instead of going out and having fun and doing what your friends or whatever, start doing what you want to do while you're playing, because everything, if you try to do it while you're done, it's just, you don't get the same effect. Yeah. One of the things when I talk to other athletes and specifically in the NFL is 
use the NFL. Don't let it use you, right? Use it as a platform for things that you want to go and do. And it sounds like that's what you've done. I did. I'm very grateful to the NFL, right? Because it's a huge platform. And if you go out, you play the game hard, you win a bunch of games, you make a name for yourself. The NFL platform gives you an opportunity to build whatever you want to. And so you look back and, and see guys that say things about the NFL. Yeah, every business has their faults and how they do things. But if you understand what that is and build what you want to off of it, you can have a very, very long career well after you're done with the NFL. Yeah. So you played for 12 seasons, right? Uh, Almost nine. Almost nine. Yeah. Okay. All right. So nine seasons. When did you know that your career was over? Well, watching film, (laughs) you know, I had a total knee reconstruction back in 2008. Came back. I was fine after that. I came back and I, a year and a half later, I, I tore my Achilles. And so as an outside linebacker in pass rusher, when you tear your Achilles and being explosive off the line of scrimmage, that pretty much seals the deal for you. And I played, you know, played well a couple of years in Buffalo, but I was just never the same player. So I, I, I already started putting it in my head that I was going to be done soon, that I just wasn't the player that I was anymore. Even though I had a lot of things lined up, I was ready to be retired. Yeah. And talk me through those injury recoveries, because I think that's one of the things in sports that people just really don't understand, right? There's ACLs obviously take a long period of time. Achilles are, are very frustrating. How difficult are those injuries to come back from both physically and mentally? Very tough. The first part of it is, is you had never had a major injury before and you missed time. Being away from the game in any capacity is probably the toughest thing I had to do early on in my career because I'm so used to competing every day. One day you just can't compete. And you're, you're sitting there watching your teammates go out to practice every day, playing the game. You're looking like, man, if, if I was there, I would help them win this game. I would have made this play if I was playing. So that was very tough, but it also prepared me to deal with a bunch of adversity that I never, I never seen before. And this is coming from someone who was homeless growing up before. This is a different level of adversity because even as a kid, when I was going through what I went through and, and coming home to eviction notices, not having food there or your lights, electricity off, I was still able to go to practice a couple hours a day and, and get my mind away from everything that was going on at home. And so having that taken away from you, you're like, it was the first time you sense a, a sort of depression, the point where you don't have an outlet right? And you're trying to figure it out. It just built up a level of adversity and being able to, to, to overcome obstacles, man. It, at the time, you don't see it that way, but you know, I later on learned that it helped me out a lot. Yeah. And do you rely on that kind of mentality now in the business world? No, absolutely. Because we all, especially when you're starting out, we all got setbacks. I remember getting into the clothing industry and missing deadlines and having orders canceled. And you're just thinking your whole business is shredded, right? Like, what am I going to do? But you also remember that you've been through tougher things and you can bounce back and you can start figuring it out. And like I said, that was one of the things I relied on heavily when I started getting into business. And when it comes to injuries, are you guys, maybe not you specifically, but other guys around the league now, are they looking at these NBA and MLB contracts guaranteed and saying, man, I wish we had some of that? Yeah, always, always. But you know, one thing I can say that the football contracts are getting up there. NBA PA and MLB PA, they've been around a longer time than NFL. So you see these contracts getting more guaranteed, bigger. I mean, Patrick Mahomes got it close to a half a billion dollar contract. That would have never happened 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, and and when you think about it, really, Patrick Mahomes is going to make $45 million a year. That's what the top basketball players in the NBA are making now, too. Right, exactly. So it's getting there. And there's so much room to grow because in the NFL is still mainly just big in the U.S. Once they start to get to China and more in Europe, Africa, and so these other places, it's going to be even bigger. All right. You start the MMA league in 2019, but let's go before that, right? So when you retire, what year did you retire? 
2013. So 2013, what did you do immediately after you retired? Did you immediately dive into business or did you take some time off? No, I actually signed a contract with NFL Network to host. It was a game, a morning show called the Good Morning Morning Show that's on NFL Network that shows in New York now. But when I did it, it was in L.A. So Total Access, all these other platforms for NFL Network was filled up with some of the more older guys and experienced guys who've been around. The Marshall Fox and Deion Sanders, Willie McGinnis, all these guys were on the on Kurt Warner, won the NFL access. They said, man, we want to, we want you to hear, but we only have this morning show. So we shot live at 3 a.m. to 7 a.m., four days a week. And so that was like my test run to see if I wanted to get into this broadcasting world or not. That was my first thing I did. I also started selling apparel at all the M Life properties in Las Vegas. That was my very next deal that I did. And following deal I did after that was Tilly's, which was a massive deal. So let's talk about broadcasting for a second. That's an avenue that a lot of professional athletes take when they retire. Why do you think that is? Well, who knows what's going on in the locker room when coaches, staff, then, then the guys, right? I mean, there's no one better to tell a story of, of how do you feel after you win or lose a game or like you just asked about an injury or guys going through a certain trade situation or whatever that is. So the more you can give as an insight, as an analyst, as somebody who actually did it before, uh, I can tell you exactly how the Achilles injury affected pass rush. So when I see a guy with a torn Achilles or a banged up knee, I say, hey, th- this is the problem he's going to have doing this because this happened to me. Once you learn that formula and give a very articulate breakdown to the fans and the people at home, then that's how you kind of build up your, your broadcasting career. And what's it like recording TV at 3 a.m.? You can't get used to it. Honestly, you can't get used to it. And my schedule is so weird because I'll go to sleep sometime at 8 p.m. and wake up at 12.30 p.m. for a 1.30 a.m. production meeting. And then we'll go live from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. And check this out. Every single hour, we go back to the top of the A block to the show and we go down and do it again. You really found out if you wanted to be doing this or not. And that was a new training camp for me. I was going to say, is that like their initiation program? Basically, like you got to do that to move on to another show? That's what it was. It felt just like that. And then over time, I went up to the NFL Access and started doing more NFL Network. But I enjoyed doing that. I've worked with some great people coming into the industry. And later on, I ended up going to Fox Sports and then some time at ESPN and back to Fox Sports. So with me, I'll talk football all day. I don't care if I'm in a barbershop, Grocery store. You start talking football about to me, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll with you. Gotcha. So let's talk MMA. Where does MMA come into all this? When did you first learn about the sport? How did you get interested in it? So in 2006, I grew up like I said in PG County, Maryland, in the DMV area. There was a ton of boxers, professional boxers. I have professional boxers in my family, and we grew up boxing. So I had a boxing background. Jay Glazer over at Fox Sports said you should try MMA out, and so I said okay, I'm down. My first day going to train was him and and Randy Couture. And at that time, I just wanted to get better with my hands and open my hips and just as an outside linebacker and a pass rusher, you want to get better with your hands. And fortunately, I did that because in 2006, I came out and led the league in sacks. Over time, I just fell in love with the sport. Fast forward 13 years after that, I saw an opportunity with a local MMA promotion in L.A. called California Extreme Fighting. I came in as a partner. We rebranded it as my company with Lights Out because it was very synonymous with what I did on the field. But also being in the MMA circuit and being around MMA for 16 years, I felt it was I was more comfortable there with the Lights Out moniker and the Lights Out branding than I was in the NFL. And we initially launched on Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket, had a couple shows there, and then a pandemic hit. And so now all of our fights are on Fubo TV and Fubo Sports. 
Gotcha. And for the people who aren't as familiar, how do these businesses work? How do you guys make money? How many have you held? How many people attend the fights, et cetera? We just finished up our seventh one. Obviously, you have money there with the streaming service and Fubo just surpassed 1 million subscribers. And the reason why I parted and went with Fubo over anyone else, because the first conversation I had with them was about making it integrated with tech and being able to include some of the gaming, fan experience, in-fight predictions, those things. And that's when I knew that it was perfect because we obviously know the UFCs are developed toward these other leagues. And so with us, it's what can I do different to get the fan experience better? That was always number one. I'm, I'm a big and firm believer that you get the fans involved as much as possible and they're just going to love what you do. And so that's what we've been doing on football sports. Amazing. So you guys, you've been doing it for about two or three years now, almost. There was obviously COVID in between, which disrupted the business a little bit, I'm sure. But just talk through kind of what's working well, what you guys have struggled with and so on. Yeah, for one, you can always use money, right? Right now, as soon as we get off of here, I'm going to an investor meeting, meet with a couple of people and sitting down and presenting what we got going on. We're the top three most highest viewed program on football TV and football sports ever. Hundreds of thousands of people watch our fights. And that just, that shows me a lot. That shows me that people love what we're doing. The production is great. The fans are, are coming out with a lot of energy, but for us, it starts with raising capital. That's, that's what we need. That's the only thing stopping us from being a premier league. And we're going to get there. People ask me, I missed the game. Well, I missed the running out to 70,000 people and having a big play or sack and people going crazy. But this is the only thing for me that gets me just as excited as I did running out to 70,000 plus people and millions of people watching. Yep. So the UFC is obviously the big elephant in the room, right? I don't know what they're valued at, but I assume it's close to $10 billion. Bellator is obviously another big one and you guys are competing there, right? So is the end goal to be as big as the UFC? Is it to be a feeder system into these leagues? Is it to get acquired by one of these leagues, right? Just talk me through kind of where you see this playing out. My former coach, Marty Schoenheimer, used to tell me that just perfect what you do and everything else will fall in place, right? We have guys go to UFC and Bellator all the time. I think Scott Coker over at Bellator is great. Dana White has been a, a big reason why this industry even as big as it is. So what we're trying to do is come in at a different angle, provide more of a fan experience and grow that way. But we got the best up and coming talent in all of MMA and everyone knows it. I don't think anybody in the industry is going to argue with that part of it. So we're, we're growing and we're growing at a rapid pace. We could grow even faster with some help, but either way, we're going to get there. So how does this work? Say you guys have a fighter come in, right? He spends, he or her spends her entire career with you guys, wins a few fights, becomes a champion in your league. Can the UFC come down and basically just say, hey, come fight with us. We'll pay you more money. We'll put you on a contract. Or do you guys have some rights to retain these fighters? No, that's what happens normally. If they're not under contract with us, even our champions, I would say every fight that we've had over the last three or four fights, at least two or three guys has gone to either UFC or Bellator. And look, that just shows you the talent pool that we have because, you know, to go and fight in those organizations, you have to be ready to go. But also, too, we feel that fighters want to come and fight for us. We have a big platform. We have a lot of eyeballs and we have a thousand plus people at every single fight that we have. We just had a great show at the Commerce Casino. We sold out there. I wait for the streaming numbers to come back and see who watched. But from what we've seen, everything turned out great. Yeah. And if you're a fighter, you have to go through some kind of transition period from the entry level to the bigger level. So if you're getting eyeballs on it, that's one thing. But also for you guys as a league, you have to be able to, to get to that level where you can pay these people to stay there. So I feel like it's a good thing that people are getting picked up by the higher leagues. Yeah, no, it's always a good thing. For one, being a former athlete, I understand that these guys have to make a living. 
So I would never stop a guy or a woman to go and further their career, take care of their family. And this is a hard sport. I get a chance to train with a lot of these guys and women, and I see what they put their bodies through. I see the training camps. I'm there. So anytime they get an opportunity, I tell them go. But also too, coming in this industry, I wanted to do something different and be creative. Sometimes when you're smaller, you can maneuver a little bit faster than, than the big guys, which is cool. <laughs> so that that's how I get away with a lot. And also, we get a lot of press. We get a lot of media. I get a lot of support from the fans and people around the media, especially. And that's another way we were winning. Gotcha. Two questions off the MMA side. One, have you ever fought in an MMA fight or no? Sanction? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I guess, right? Yeah, you- I had a couple fights. I'm just telling you this now, but I had a couple fights. My plan days in the off season where we kind of close everything off. I'll put up the camera phones, exhibition fights. At one point I was sparring twice a week for, for several months at a time when I was thinking about fighting myself. But one thing I'll say, you, you can play basketball, you can play football, but you cannot play fighting. I mean, these guys train six days, seven days a week, twice a day, sometime. And, you have to respect the sport a little bit. That's like someone coming and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to go play tackling drills with Sean Merriman. You don't want to do that, right? I, that's, I'm a professional at it. So for me, and I try to tell any former athlete, this is another thing. We, we have former athletes from NFL, NHL, rugby guys that are transitioning into lights out. I have a show coming that I already shot the pilot for just about that. I believe that every former athlete should pick up some discipline in combat sports when they get done. That's a good point. If you had to pick an athlete, whether it's the NFL, NBA, whatever, a current athlete that you think would either be really good at MMA or you would like to see come into MMA, who would it be? I got a couple guys. Wow. Every time I watch them on Sunday, I said, I can't wait to. I, I feel like you're keeping a list and you're, you're uh, I, I do. texting I got long... them or emailing them or telling them, hey, when you're done, c- come check this out. People got a Christmas list. I got a fight list. The Khalil Max of the world. I think he would be just phenomenal if he picked up a discipline. Aaron Donald. DK Metcalf. Could you imagine a guy like that if you want to say, yeah, I'm going to go learn some jujitsu for a year or two and then pick up some boxing, what he can do to people. I'm always constantly looking around for these former guys to make that transition. And so we've seen a few guys do this, right? Greg Hardy has been the most recent one, I think, who has made it to the UFC and has a few fights under his belt and stuff. But how much is it? Because I always think back and everyone always talks about these big athletes, the Aaron Donalds, the Cleo Max, and obviously they're physical specimens, right? They're freaks to some degree of their athletic ability. But how much of succeeding in MMA is the physical side of it versus the technical side of it? Well, one thing when you're talking about it, and I'll start with the former football player. One thing we walk in, we're already athletes. We're already disciplined. We're explosive. So you have to pick up the discipline in learning jujitsu, learn your groundwork, take down defense. And some of these things that are people are going to expose you being in this industry. These guys are monsters. They've been doing this 10, 15 plus years. So they're more experienced than you. And so I remember even when I first started learning how to grapple or doing any kind of jujitsu or take down defense. I remember having 185, 190 pound wrestlers that would take me down and I could not get up. They were just so much more experienced than I was. And I started to ask questions every day. Why can you do this? Why can't I get up? And they would say, okay, well, you have to do this. So if a guy goes in and wants to really learn this sport and picks it up, he'll be, he'll be undefeated. No one be able to beat him. Yep. What was harder during your all pro years, the football offseason training or the MMA offseason training? Oh, MMA. MMA, for sure. Every day, uh, and this is why I love the sport of MMA and, and, and being on this side of it. Every day you can walk in and learn something different. There's some kind of hold, some kind of angle, just a little bit of a five degree of this, and someone can get you in a gear team, a standing gear team, an ankle lock, castle. I mean, there's so many different things you can learn every single day. It's, it's a humbling experience. That's why I love this sport. Yeah, so 
the way I think about MMA is two decades ago, it was seen as human cage fighting, right? It was looked down upon. It was kind of taboo. People didn't really want to watch it or it wasn't on TV at least. It's totally changed. The UFC was obviously a big part of that. Other leagues have been a huge part of that also. The streaming deals, every fight is not only must-see TV, but it's all on all the social networks and everything. How big can this sport be, do you think, eventually in this country? Well, you got to think. They just got sanctioned a fight, MMA, in New York, not even some years ago, Right. Certain countries are just opening up to have an MMA fighting there. Adesanya and some of these guys, they were having problems in New Zealand. And everybody's warming up to it because they see how great this sport is and the disciplines it takes. And it's not just looked at as, look, before the NFL started having hard knocks and all the inside training camp stuff, people would think that the players just go have the game and go home. Right. But now you see the guys get cut. Their playbooks get snatched. They have families. They get traded. People know more about the sport of football because of all these things. And MMA is going to be right behind it. So that's a good point. The UFC, they had the ultimate fighter. The NFL had hard knocks. Formula One has tried to survive. There's millions of examples of sports leagues using content to show their message and show their league off and grow. Have you guys looked into doing any of those partnerships? Oh, yeah. I have the show that's going to come. It's called After the Game about former athletes and what they go through. Some of these guys have, have dealt with depression. Some of these guys who thought back going back to the streets and doing illegal things and getting involved in stuff because they just didn't know the next part of their life and go, really going through it. And also showing that you don't retire and you go broke with CTE. That narrative needs to get out of there. A lot of guys have some great stuff going on. And as more and more of these stories get out there and let people know who they really are, it's going to bring the fans and the people closer to that individual. Is there anyone in the professional sports world that either you played with or you're familiar with or you've met or whatever that one you look up to or two, you're like, damn, they have the blueprint. They did this really well. I had a bunch of great role models, man. I had Ray Lewis when I came in the NFL. I went to college. His brother, Keon Lattimore, played running back at the University of Maryland. So I got really close with Ray Lewis. LeVar Arrington he used to play over there with the Washington football team. I went to Penn State. I convinced his younger brother to come play basketball with me in high school. So we got really close then. So I had some really, really on the football side, I'll say that on the football side of people who kind of gave me a head start as far as knowledge. Gotcha. All right. Let's talk about your insurance business. I know you have a lot going on there. Tell me a little bit more about it. Yeah. We talked about the, obviously the fight league, but when the pandemic hit and when you're growing that way and you're still a kind of developmental league or your startup league and then the pandemic hit, it really crushes everything you got going on. At the time, we didn't have a huge TV deal like some of these other leagues. So we couldn't have a fight. So I was sitting around and I'm not used to not working. A buddy of mine had introduced me to a company called Family First Life. And I met the CEO and founder, Sean Mike, and we really hit it off. And he said, you can really do well over here in this industry. And I just frowned upon insurance industry because I've heard so many bad things. Well, anyway, I got involved the company. I now have my own agency called Lights Out Agency. I have 147 agents all around the country and we're constantly growing. My goal with the company, honestly, because I felt that during the pandemic is for one, help as many people we can and get in life insurance because of the pandemic and what happened and the COVID and what's the new one that's out now, the new variant Delta. And there's another one now. You got to have life insurance. So for one, you're helping people. But two, you're in a business where you're making money helping people. So this has been kind of something I started to do on the side during the pandemic because I didn't know it was going to be as big as it is to now being one of the fastest growing agencies in the country. And so for me, when people ask me what's my hobbies or downtime, I call agents. <laughs> I come and call agents and recruit them. And I pick up the phone. They say, who is this? Is this really Sean Raymond? It's like, yeah. Some people I had to get on a video call with because they didn't believe it was me who was actually calling and recruiting them to join my team. But it's been a fun ride. And I look to create as many six-figure earners in this country as possible. 
That's amazing. That's amazing. What happened, speaking of COVID, with the league? What were those conversations like? When did you realize that it was going to be a big deal, that you guys were going to have to shut down, that this might impact you guys financially? The first thing was I saw the NBA games shutting down. So then we were asking the, the California State Athletic Commission, where are we going to be next? And no one said anything. And then we got shut down the day of the weigh-ins. And my heart just dropped. It was like, you got the cage set up, the lights, production, everybody's ready to go, fighters flown in. And you're looking at the financial side of it, but you also realize that these fighters have been training for months. And this is how they take care of themselves and take care of their families. So I immediately start thinking about that side of it more than anything. And it was a long road because we just didn't know. I thought the pandemic, just like everyone else, was only going to be maybe three or four months max, right? When we were like, okay, we'll get out of this thing. We'll start back up. We're all good. And then we're down for a year plus. And then you had to really figure it out. Gotcha. All right. I'm going to let you go. But before I do, one last question. If you were looking at your younger self or younger players in the league, what would your advice be now? Take your time. One thing, when you're younger, you're coming into a bunch of success. You got a lot of things thrown at you. Take your time because you get pulled in so many different directions, but you have to facilitate the important things and just know that everything is going to fall in place. You don't have to rush and do anything or do a thousand things at one time. I think that if I was looking at my younger self, that would be probably one of the most important things I would say. I love it. I love it. All right, Sean, thanks for doing this. I really enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on.